Today we're going to continue in our faithful series. We're just calling it faithful. And, and, and I'm going to walk you through really a, a very famous passage in Scripture. This is, this is one of those passages in Scripture that travels. It's, it's, it's used, actually, it's used in theological institutions for a host of different reasons. And I'm going to, I'm going to share it with you in a minute. This passage is moving somewhere. And it, and it deals with a group of people, God's people, that had kind of hit a weird place in the road when it comes to their, their purpose. You know, I, I've never met a person, I, I, I've yet to meet a person ever, that when you, if you ask them, they said, yeah, my, my chief desire in life is to be a nobody. Um, you know, I've never met that person. I, I've never met somebody that said, I get up every day hoping I live a life of insignificance and complete misery. I want to be nothing when I grow up. Ask a kid, what do you want to be? They never, they never say, oh, I want to be a nobody right? They, they, they give you something. We, they have aspirations. They have dreams. They have visions. I've never met a Christian. I've never met a Christian that said, no, I, I don't want God to use me. I've never met a Christian that said, I don't want my life to count. I've never met a Christian that said, I want to live a life of purposelessness. I've never met a Christian to say that. But yet, let me ask you a question. If you look around the national landscape, I don't, I don't mean just Clearview. I don't even mean just Franklin. You look around the national landscape. For the last 30, 40, 50, 60 years, look at, look at the church world across America. It, if Jesus really does give people significance, if kingdom life is best lived out among the people of God... If finding your purpose in life is found through Christ, and if, 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 if experiencing God is the only way to find fulfillment, and all that's true, by the way, then explain to me this. In the last 50 years, why do you see so many congregations dwindling? There's a disconnect somewhere. The math doesn't add up. If you look on our national landscape, the church as a whole loses ground every year after every year after every year. And that was actually happening to these people. There was a disconnect there. Oh, I would say it this way. God was for them, but he wasn't participating. He was for them, yes, but he wasn't participating. So, you know, I've told you this many times. One of my favorite ways to study the Bible, and, and, and you know, it could be completely selfish. I mean, really, it really could. But I love to look at other people's mistakes and go, ooh, don't do that. Right? I mean, it's, it's inexpensive. You don't need a counselor, a career coach. You know, you can just watch other people and how they blew it, right? And go, okay, take really good notes. Right? Dave Ramsey always says, we give you the same monetary advice that your grandmother gave you. We just charge you for it, all right? Look at other people's mistakes and look at how they blew it, and you can learn a lot. There's a lot to be said on what not to do. So when you look at the people of God, which is a, a, a group of people called Israel, they were, they were God's chosen people. What was it that would make it go from what God was for them, but, but he really wasn't participating? The question that I have is, 
How did God's people get to this low point? Like if you were to track their GPS and drop a pin on their journey, there's a place in time, actually multiple places in time, on their journey uh, as a people of God that, that God was for them, but, they, but he wasn't participating in what they were doing. So how did they get to that place? I would, I would say, before I tell you this passage this morning, before we break it down, I'm going to set it up for you and kind of build you a storyboard. I want to build you a storyboard because you need to understand what's really going on. How did they get to this place where God was for them, but he wasn't participating? I would say the first bedrock foundation of that was they had a misunderstanding of God's favor. See, when you don't understand why God does favor his people, God loves his people. He sent his son to die for his people. God God had favor on the people of God, but yet he wasn't participating, and he wasn't participating for a reason. But here's the interesting thing. When when you read the story, we're going to be in Isaiah. That's where we're going to pick it up. If you want to cheat, you can go to Isaiah and get ready. If you, if you were to read the first five chapters of Isaiah, here's what you would discover. They were giving their money, it appears. They were coming to temple all the time. They knew to say the right things. But somehow God, he just wasn't participating. He wasn't participating. In fact, it says in Isaiah chapter 1, it says, it says this. He says, I've had enough of burnt offerings. Can you imagine God saying, hey, you know what? Stop it. The, bring your worthless offerings to me no more. I've never heard a preacher say, don't give your money. Right? Y'all can laugh at that. It's okay. Really. I've, I've ne- I, I, I don't know that I ever have. I, you know, can you imagine God saying, I don't need your cash? Can you imagine God saying what he said there in Isaiah 1? So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes. Boy, that's a downer, isn't it? Can you imagine praying to God and before you even do, he says, you can pray all you want. I'm just going to go, no, 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 no. I mean, that is a bad day. So what would, what would have gotten them to there? They misunderstood their favor. You see, the, the people of Israel, they were chosen of God, but they were chosen not because they were so amazing. They were chosen because if anybody was going to do something in Israel, it was going to take a God to do it. For them to be something in the eyes of all these big countries, they were the runt of the litter. And if they were going to be somebody, it was going to take the holy God to do it. And so they, they got proud and they got arrogant and, and, and somehow in that they began to misunderstand what it means to be favored. And an, a, another bedrock principle of, of how they got to this place on their journey was, was they began to embrace culture. They embraced pop culture. And it's evidenced as you read in Isaiah, you see in Isaiah chapter 2, it says, he says, come house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord, the prophet says, for you have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with influences from the east. That means you've opened up the doors to other religions. Their land has also been filled with idols. They, they worship the work of their hands, I mean, they, that which their fingers have created. They began to be proud about what they had accomplished. And they, they lowered their standards of, of holiness. They, they, they began to really let in idol worship. God wasn't enough, and he's not going to tolerate that. And so, in effect, what they see is they, they couldn't manipulate his favor. They couldn't do it. They couldn't manipulate it. They really couldn't get to a place where they could 
offer up all this open theology to other gods and other pop culture ideas, they began to chase really cheap substitutes. Really cheap substitutes for the Lord. You know, friends, a lesson we can learn from their journey is that you will never experience God's purpose for your life. You won't. You will never experience God's purpose for your life if you fill your life with poison. You won't. You're never going to experience significance. You're never going to find fulfillment if, in turn, you just fill your life with poison. And so so that's what they were doing. They They were putting spiritual toxins in their spiritual life, expecting a blessing. And so that's where you enter the prophet named Isaiah. And Isaiah goes into the temple one day, and he has this experience with God. And it's the full package experience. And I want to share it with you this morning. So I gave you the quick context of what he's dealing with. So let's turn to Isaiah 6. Isaiah chapter 6, if you've got your Bible open. If you're on a tablet, I'm using the New American Standard. If you're on version, maybe. So, here, so that gives you the backdrop of how they got there. So Isaiah goes into the temple like a, a priest would do. And this is what he says. In the year that King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty exalted, and the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with the other two he covered his feet, and with the other two he flew. And, and one called out to the other. The seraphim called out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Now Isaiah finally speaks, and this is what he says in verse 5. Woe is me, I am ruined. It means I'm going to die. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the angels, one of the seraphim, flew To him with a burning coal in his hand. So on the altar there would have been coals. And so one of the angels, they they pick up a coal and and they took it from the altar with tongs. And it says in verse 7, he touched my mouth with it and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. And your iniquity is taken away. And your sin is forgiven. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, this is God talking now in the temple. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. So in this passage, there's a lot to deal with this idea of God's favor. The people had lost favor with God. I didn't say he quit loving them. He was for them, but he wasn't participating. So today, let's talk about what does it mean to be faithful with God's favor If we're talking about the whole series is faithful, what does it mean to be faithful with God's favor? God will favor his people, but there are ways we have to align with it. So here's what we're going to do. We saw the backdrop of what the people did to get them at that low point in their journey. So what did Isaiah do? Let's learn from him for a second. So this guy walks into the temple, and he meets God in, in, in 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 a way that is hard to even describe. By the way, this passage is often used in universities and seminaries to actually talk about worship and missions. This passage is historically famous for the total package. 
So when we look at the idea of favor, the people were out of favor with God, but Isaiah was in favor with God. So there's a compare and a contrast there. So what can we learn from his experience? What can we do when we look at it and, and, and find something? I think there's, a, there's a, a couple of key truths here. And one is that, that God wants to save me from myself. When you look at the life of Isaiah and what happened here, God wants to save me from myself. Say, Jason, what do you mean? Well, when Isaiah walked into that temple, friends, what he saw literally broke him apart. You see, when you experience God for who he is, you cannot walk away as if it never happened. When you experience God for who he is, and when, when, the, when you experience the power of the Holy Spirit on your life, when you experience the holiness of God, what you'd find really quick is what Isaiah found, and that is there is nothing in the world like God. He couldn't even put name on it. He couldn't put adjectives on it. All he could say was, I think I'm going to die. I think I'm going to die. When he was confronted with who God is and who he wasn't, it's really hard to frame that up. If you've ever been in a worship experience, some of my best worship experiences have not been in church. Some of them have. Some of them have been in very unexpected times. Very unexpected moments where God just opens up the clouds for a minute. And you... You don't, you don't even know what to say. You don't know what to do. It's hard to move. Isaiah felt that. He felt that God was just raining down on him. But here's what he did. When I tell you that God wants to save you from yourself, notice what Isaiah did. He didn't start comparing his life to everybody else's life. Because we do that, don't we? I mean, we're constantly comparing our lives with other people. We compare our wealth against other people. We compare our status against other people. And we, we never compare ourselves to ourselves, or really we don't compare ourselves to God. I mean, think about it. I mean, I don't compare my golf game, you know, to Jack Nicklaus or Phil Mickelson. I compare my golf game to people like Graham, you know, who I beat mercilessly about a week and a half ago, right, without shame. And I told him, Right? No, we, we compare ourselves, we compare ourselves this way, but Isaiah didn't do that. He compared himself to God. He says, I'm no, I'm so, I'm not even, I'm not even so far behind. I'm like, I'm no, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. So if you want favor with God, do what Isaiah did. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. You want favor with God? Examine yourself. So I'll, I'll, I think I can prove this for you, okay? Let me, let me I want to, they hate it when I move around like this, but we got cameras. All right, Hunter Hood, you asked for it, big boy. Come on down here. This, everybody say, hey, Hunter. Hey, Hunter. This is Hunter. Hunter is a rising seventh grader going on 25 with really cool socks. What, is, what do those say? Krusty Crab. Krusty Crab? Where'd you get those? Uh, Old Navy. Old Navy. Okay. Well, sure you did. Yeah. Awesome. I, I told I said, Hunter, I need some help this morning. He's like, oh, I'm running. I'll, I'll do it. I'm like, well, you're running camera. He's like, oh, camera three doesn't matter anyway. Let me do it. So, so, so all right, here, here's what I want you to do. Be, be real still for a minute. Okay. I got to adjust this thing. All right. 
put this on for me. Turn around. All right, now, all right, here we go. I got to tighten the straps. Okay. How much do you weigh? Like 84 pounds. I'm even surprised you knew that. Um, all right, 84 pounds. I can't even get the waist strap on. It's around your knees. So, um, so, so here, here's the deal. This is a, Hunter, this is a, he has no idea what's about to happen to him, so he's, he's a good sport. This is a meat packing frame. You use it for hauling what? Meat. Yeah, I just said meat. Yeah. So, so you use it like on an elk hunt or I've, I've, I've had that thing. Hey, this thing's been all the way in the Arctic Circle. I've had it up there. And so you, you put your other stuff on it. So if you do kill an elk or a caribou or something like that, you can put all your meat down there and it's just a pack frame. Then you give your stuff to your buddy and they haul that out while you make the trip. Okay. So I want you to do something for me. I'm going to clear this out. All right. So we're going to get this out of the way. So here's what I want you to do. Come over here. I want you to just step up on that stand. Just step up. Not hard. 84 pounds? Not bad. Step down. I bet you could turn, I bet, turn around. I bet do it again. I bet you could jump up there. Jump. Just jump. Yeah, just jump. Don't fall. Don't fall. Hey, I'll tell you what. If you fall, I'll catch you. Who's your favorite preacher? Yeah, that's right. Go. Ready? Boom. You got it. All right. Now come down. Come down. All right. Now, okay, let's do this. Turn around. Turn, turn around. Okay. Ready? Hold on. Here we go. Okay, hold on. That's not bad. Okay. Uh-huh. Now, 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 don't jump. All right. Uh-huh. Can you step up on that? Now, don't, don't, no, just step right up. Can you do it? I don't know. I don't know. No. No. All right. It's hard, isn't it? It's really hard because I've got almost all of your body weight. Like, that's a lot of weight. That's like 50-something pounds right there, right? So more than half of your body weight. It's pretty hard to do that, right? Okay, let's all give Hunter a hand. Dismount that stuff. Watch your toes. All right. Good job. All right, go back to camera three. So now, why, why in the world would I show you that? Isaiah took a look at himself. And it made me think about Hebrews 12, where this is what Paul said. Paul said, therefore, since we are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. You see, God is able and willing to put favor on you but you got to strip the weight off for the journey because it's unnecessary weight. Sin always seeks to grow. Sin never seeks, sin is never content to stay small. Sin, any sin we encounter in life, it's, I'm telling you, friend, whatever you struggle with, we all struggle with different things. Whatever sin you struggle with or sins you might struggle with, it's never intention. It's never going to intend to stay small. The enemy's going to seek to grow it. But God, God did not want to just clean up Isaiah. There was a reason. There was a reason he was doing what he was doing. He wasn't just trying to make him morally better, Right? And I think we forget that sometimes as Christians. We think that God, you know, we need to follow the rules and clean up and shape up and, and be better and do better. And that's not, that's good and all, but that's not God's purpose for what he's doing in our lives. It wasn't here in Isaiah 6. No, God does want me to save me for, from myself, but there's a reason. And that reason is this, is God wants to shape me for himself, right? So let's look at that. 
God wants to save me from myself, but the purpose behind it is that he wants to shape me for himself. Now, God, God was doing something right here that was beyond just cleaning Isaiah up, all right? Look at what he says to God. In verse 5, woe is me, I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. It's a metaphor for my heart is not right. And I live a, among a people of unclean lips. The, Jesus said, out of, the, out of the mouth, the heart speaks, right? For my eyes have seen the king. There's no going back, he said. And then one of the seraphim in verse 6 said, They flew to me with a burning coal, and he touched my mouth with it. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. He touched the very place that Isaiah said, this is where my sin lives. And he says, your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. God wasn't just seeking to make Isaiah moral. He wasn't. Do you notice that he met Isaiah at the point of the need that Isaiah had? Isaiah said, I have unclean lips. Notice what the angel didn't do. The angel didn't touch his knee. The angel didn't go and touch his ear. The angel, Isaiah didn't say, I, I struggle with lust of the eyes. He didn't touch his eyes. He didn't transform there. He touched him right where Isaiah said his problem was. Friend, listen to me. God knows what shackles you. He does. He knows your own shackle. And your shackled stuff isn't my shackled stuff. And my shackled sin isn't your shackled sin. But God knows exactly where those things live. And he, here's the great thing about God's power. He doesn't just know it. He has the supernatural ability to make it clean. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? God doesn't want you running your race with extra weight. He doesn't. So look at what he says in Isaiah 1. I put it on the screen for you. Says the Lord, come now, let us reason together. Your, your sins are scarlet, but they will be white as snow. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly the mouth of the Lord has spoken. They had an option. They had an option to pursue who God was. And he was willing, even though he knew what shackled them, they had idol worship. I mean, you can read all about the house of Israel, man. I mean, they, listen, they, every sin that's alive today was alive back then. They did it then too. And so God knew exactly what was going on in their lives and he was willing. He was offering this hand of hope. He didn't just want to save them from themselves. He was trying to shape them at the point of their need. It wasn't just so they could get better. And I think that's what we think. So often as Christians, we think that God just wants to shape us up and make us better Christians, and that's, that's a byproduct. But I want to tell you something, friends. Righteousness is not just about you feeling better when you look in the mirror. It's not about that. It, there's a reason that this passage is historically famous. There's a reason I studied it in seminary. There's a reason it's still used today in missions, in worship format. Every worship pastor is, is made to almost memorize the whole context of this thing. There's a reason this passage is historically famous. It's because it is the total package of understanding what it means to live in the favor of God. God does want me to, he, he does want to save me from myself because I'll wreck the dream. 
He, he does want to shape me for himself, but there's a motive even behind that. And that's what you see with Isaiah. God wants to send me for the sake of others. See, look at what happens there. God's saving Isaiah. He's meeting him at the point of his need. He's touching the very iniquity that's holding him down. But then there's something else that happens right here. Right after Isaiah is cleansed and his sins are forgiven, verse 8 comes. And Isaiah said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And he said, here, here am I. Send, send me. Send me where? Send me back to the people. Send me back to the people. You see, if you want to experience God's favor and purpose on your life, you're not just going to experience that chasing after your own dreams. You're, 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 just, you're just not. You're, we were designed to live, believe it or not, we were not designed to live for ourselves. We were designed for something far better than that. Because if all you do is live for yourself, you're going to get the best that you've got to offer. You were designed by God to live for something bigger than you, and that's him. So God does want to shape you, but he wants to shape you in order to send you. And where he was sending Isaiah was back to the people. He was sending him back to the people so that they could understand the need to repent. God saved us to send us. God saved me, he's shaping me, and he's sending me all the time. He's sending me all the time. But you're never going to experience that if you just buy into the American dream. From the time I was a little boy, I was told, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I was told, make your own way. Our culture, men and women, all of us, from the time you were little girls and little boys, you were told that you determine your own destiny. You can make it. You can do anything you want to do. You're told all these things, and then you grow up and you realize that you... You know, you really can't do anything you want to do. I really wanted to be, I, in the seventh grade, I really wanted to be, I wanted to play in the NBA. It's okay. You can laugh. You know, I wanted to be Larry Bird. I mean, he's six foot nine with a two inch vertical leap. You know, I really did. And then I remember, then I wanted to be a golfer. You know, my, my dad's a golf pro. And I, I really wanted to be a professional golfer. And then I went to the Masters the first time. And I saw Curtis Strange and Jack Nicholas and Payne Stewart on the practice tee. And I realized I needed to find a different plan. <laughs> right? We're told we can do anything we want to do. But the reality is those, those dreams will leave you void. They will leave you wanting for more. I mean, let's face it, friends. If, if sex, money, and fame breeds a healthy lifestyle, then Hollywood's going to be the most stable place you've ever seen. But the American dream is great. It doesn't mean we shouldn't have aspirations. It just means that I'm never going to find fulfillment outside of Christ. I'm not. I'm not going to find fulfillment living for myself, building my own business, creating my own revenue stream, being a, getting a title on my name. It's never going to come no matter what, how many kids I can have. Whatever you're filling in that blank, if it's not the kingdom of God, friends, you are, you are creating your own poison. You're creating your own poison. And it's hard. It gets blurry at times. It gets blurry at times. But God isn't. He's not just shaping Isaiah to make him more righteous. He's shaping him so that he can be something he could never be on his own. 
He could never be on his own. You can experience the favor of God. You really can. You can experience the favor of God. But I'm going to tell you what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to be willing to step out from the mainstream and walk a different path. See, I wrote it down this way. I must be willing to live differently for God to use me eternally. I've got to live differently in order to be used eternally. You can't just keep living any way you want to live and expect, oh God, because that's what the Israelites were doing. What can we learn from them? Well, we can learn a lot. And one is, don't think you can buy God off. Don't think that just because he's chosen you, you can live however you want, when you want, how you want, any way you want. You won't experience the favor of God if you do that. God created you for so much more than just what you're experiencing now. I want you to, I want, I want you to ask yourself a question. Seriously. I mean it. Look around. You got up this morning. You got up. You got dressed. You came to church. You've done it before. You've done it before hundreds of times. I hope you do it again next week. I do. But I want to ask you, is this all there is? I mean, is this the end goal? Is the end goal that we just come and hear a great band and be among some really neat people and at a great church and bless some Asian pastors maybe today and then next week or something else? Or, or... Friends, please tell me that's not all there is. Tell me that's not all there is. Just putting days to days and weeks to weeks and months to months and quarters to quarters and years to years and then dying one day. No. No, God, God, God is calling you to so much more than just fulfilling your own dream. Because if you fulfill, even if you get your own dream, even if you achieve it, I promise you, it will grow stale. I heard Jim Carrey one time say, I, I watched an interview with him. And Jim Carrey said, I really, and he, and he almost was crying. He said, I really wish everybody could experience fame so they would see it is nothing like they thought it would be. You can, you can pursue your own dream, and it'll be fine for a while. Or you can stand before a holy God and recognize it, all I want to do is tap into the dream that you have for me. And if you don't do that, friend, there's a promise, by the way. It's in Ephesians 3. Paul's praying, and he says, Now, to him who is able to do far more, abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Inside of us is Christ. Christ in us is the hope of glory. And what Paul's prayer is, is that we understand that he is able to do far more beyond. God is able to do with me more than I could ever do on my own. So we're called to be faithful. And faithfulness starts with examining ourselves Letting God shape us so he can send us. And that's what Isaiah did. He took Hebrews 12 personally. And he got rid of the weight in his life. 
And guess what you're doing today? Do you think Isaiah knew that one day we'd write about him? You think that Isaiah knew that thousands of years later there'd be a guy in Franklin, Tennessee talking about him? He didn't know that. You think Isaiah knew that he'd be one of the most famous prophets of God ever? He didn't know that. So why are we talking about him today? Because he'd emptied himself. And he submitted himself to God's plan for his life. And he was willing to do whatever it took to do it. And that's when God went abundantly beyond anything he could ask or imagine. So this morning as we pray together, I want to ask you a question. When you do what Isaiah did and you examine your life, what needs to leave? What needs to leave? Right? That's the question. What needs to leave? What needs to go? What, what are you putting on the, the frame of your life that is keeping you from stepping into higher ground? What needs to leave? Don't be afraid. God is saving you from yourself. He's shaping you in order to send you. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.